You know what's crazy? I'll tell you what's crazy. People watching at the airport. So I'm at gate 24 in the Denver International Airport. The departure area is a human wastebasket of legs and arms and bad wardrobe selections. Spandex and Hawaiian shirts overload my senses. Who on God's green earth authorized wearing yoga pants in public? Even men are wearing yoga pants. When did that become acceptable? It's a little hard on my optic nerve. I scan the concourse. I'm amused at the size of carry-on bags. Is that a carry-on or a shipping crate, I muse? Southwest promotes an attitude of free to roam around the country. But in this gate area, roaming anywhere is almost next to impossible. The gaggle of body parts and carry-on luggage has made this section of Earth a game of biological twister. Everywhere I look, there's children. They're covered with phlegm. Over there, I see a group of old men stretching their legs into the walkway. The old guys don't have a lawn to kick people off of, so instead, they're forcing pedestrians to jump over their bony ankles, covered by black socks and Jesus sandals. I've been in Denver for three days. I'm a little bit hungover, and my equilibrium, it's questionable. I'm people-watching through bloodshot eyes. I watch a toddler sitting on the armrest. He's a chubby little kid. He's wearing a Predator's t-shirt. His face is covered with the meal that he ate an hour ago. Who feeds their two-year-old sauerkraut and spicy mustard, I whisper to myself. The child is on the three-inch armrest. He's rocking ominously back and forth. The Humpty Dumpty nursery rhyme crosses my mind. The boy's father is standing by, but Super Dad is lost somewhere in a visual sea of excess. So many people are pushing through the crowded gate that Super Dad, he seems distracted. Suddenly, thump. Then, wah! Oh, crap. The kid fell off the armrest. I watch him go down. He hits the floor like a rotten watermelon. Whap! It's only two and a half feet, but the floor is concrete, and the kid is a bag of flesh, and you get the picture. I watch the little boy. He's dazed. He did a full Greg Luganus backward off the chair as his tiny head smacked the ground. The only thing he had to break his fall was a wad of melted gum that was ground into the carpet fiber. Maybe the bacteria broke his fall, I think to myself, as Superdad bounces into action. The father scoops up the mustard-faced tear sack, checking him for signs of paralysis and lice. The little boy with the Predator's hockey t-shirt stops crying. Damn, he's a bruiser, I think to myself. No blood, no foul. His dad dusts him off, putting him in the same chair as his baby sister. I don't want to sit next to Simon, the little girl with the runny nose says. Her eyes never rise from the iPad nestled between her dirty knees. Suddenly, the gate attendant snaps the microphone. There's a crackle. I struggle to hear through the thunderous distortion that sounds like two tin cans mating inside of a meat grinder. Well, folks, we'll be boarding in a few minutes. I'd like to get all the A passengers to line up, the voice says. It's as if someone was giving away free money. People jump out of their seats and move toward the poles in the middle of the boarding area. These metallic columns have cryptic numbers that force me to do algebraic computations just to determine my place in line. It feels like an esoteric Stonehenge with less fresh air. The human castaways with no souls approach. The bags of flesh carrying UNICEF cargo boxes hop up like so many field mice being chased by a cobra.
dirty children with their fat-ass parents move to the monolithic posts protruding from the ground. What number are you? I hear a blue hair ask a punk rocker with a guitar strapped to his back. I'm A33, he says, staring at his boarding pass. I'm in front of you, blue hair says, knocking the punk aside like a bad version of rollerball. The confusion of people jockeying for position between the posts is one part IndyCar pass on the backstretch, coupled with the sidewalk shenanigans of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I've yet to move. I'm still near the seats that border the concourse. Out here, all hell is about to break loose. I'm watching a tall man with two huge cups of Starbucks coffee stand up. His eyeballs scan the cluttered path through the sea of confusion toward the esoteric southwest totem poles beyond. The man's about 60. He's tall. He's fit. He has a bag over his shoulder, and his arms are extended as he balances two enormous cups of coffee. He's a caffeine-laden Frankenstein, moving ominously forward. His arms are erect, locked at the elbows. Then... Out of the corner of my eye, I see the accident as it's about to happen. Another passenger, a man perhaps in his 20s, is galloping like a gazelle. He's not a passenger, at least not at this gate. No, he's a sprinter, a hurdler, a man whose thoughts are far, far away. He's heading somewhere fast. His mind's on a shuttle or a train or a baggage carousel somewhere in the distance. I watch him jump a child. He maneuvers past a black sock a sandal. Then, oh no, crash. Gazelle Man smashes into Coffee Frankenstein. Thud. The sound is that of two human chests rapidly decompressing. I watch as a gallon of expensive coffee evacuates the confines of these containers at an exponential rate of confusion. In slow motion, I watch the boiling hot brown liquid float in the air. It's a gelatinous goo of soft edges and Play-Doh-like calm. It's as if the coffee, now suspended in midair, is dancing an undulating rumba in zero gravity. I watch as Frankenstein recoils and stumbles to keep his balance. As he steps back, awkwardly, the super-duper coffee cups of blistering hot airport java leave his hands. I watch his fingers grasp at air as the cardboard cups take flight into the slow-motion mix of undulating brew and free-falling gravity. The gazelle man is stunned and stops in his tracks. Just then, time speeds up and the cups of coffee hit the hard petri dish carpeting like a corpse hitting the floor in Cartagena. The steamy liquid explodes across the floor, blanketing the carpet in a sludge that reminds me of the Exxon Valdez running aground. Frankenstein is stunned. His arms are still extended, his fingers cupping air that was once a cup of java and caffeinated deliciousness. The gazelle man, he seems obviously sorry. His face is woven into a frown with a trace of esoteric disbelief. He reaches out to catch the coffee cups that are now rolling under the seat of a child who's watching Dora the Explorer. The disgusting airport carpet is a crime scene of coffee and body parts. Old man white socks are stained half an airport away. The gazelle stares at Frankenstein. His eyebrows furl like Spock on the bridge of the Enterprise. Somewhere in the distance, there's a baggage carousel or tram or a girlfriend to hug. The gazelle man raises his hand. It's a weak gesture. Oh well, he seems to say. And with that, he bolts. Sorry, he says, his words disappearing into the vacuum of another gate announcement. 
Frankenstein stands there helplessly, the cups blowing in the breeze created by the artificial wind of so many people not caring and passing by. I snicker. Then take my position between two esoteric signposts. Boarding is uneventful. Surprising, but uneventful. I take my seat in row four. Ahead of me is the blue hair. She's happy as a clam. She's wearing an old lady blouse and old lady pants, apparently from the Sears collection. She's all of a hundred pounds, a china doll of a human. She almost doesn't look real in the large southwest seat. I watch as she opens up the styrofoam food box in her lap. I can make out the image of a massive omelet. It's overflowing the sharp edge of the food container. Somewhere in the black market of this aeronautical den of iniquity, the blue hair had made a deal with the devil. She sold her soul, trading it for a breakfast burrito so spectacular, a church choir's hallelujah came with it. I watched as the old lady pushed her white plastic fork into the creamy ensemble of eggs and cheese. There were also other delectables in there, so tantalizing they must be on a culinary wanted poster. Before I can become jealous or work up the nerve to reach over the seat and scoop my hands into her box of eggs, it happens. Once again, the evil that is gravity rears its recalcitrant head and attacks. I watch as the hefty flight attendant with the large shoulders and ham hock arms struggles with something in the overhead bin. What's going on up there, I wonder? The flight attendant casts an ominous shadow over the tiny woman. It suddenly feels claustrophobic, like the final eclipse of the apocalypse. I can't quite see from my seat in the middle of the row, but the flight attendant seems to be adjusting luggage. My view is obfuscated, but I can tell from the way the attendant is straining, leaning, pushing, pulling, something's not right. Square peg in a round hole? I'm about to yell and jest, but there's no time. Suddenly, a large purse emerges. It's the size of a small home printer from the late 1990s. I don't know what's in the bag, but it sure looks solid and it's accelerating rapidly, following Newton's principles of force. In the beat of a butterfly's eyelash, it's over. The bag full of lead and heavy metals hits the styrofoam box. Eggs dislodge in a geometrically diverse pattern. It's a CSI moment where egg spatter is now cause for investigation. The old woman raises her arms, her box broken, her eggs a biological disaster of disgust. The chunky-armed stewardess is remarkably calm, considering the car wreck of breakfast foods now dripping off the old lady's blouse. She picks up the bag and shoves it securely into the overhead bin. She reaches down with a napkin and dabs the old woman like a mama cat, giving the passenger in seat 3E a tongue bath. I see a chunk of creamy egg on the armrest. I'm suddenly tempted to slide my finger under the simmering deliciousness that's been separated from the herd. I cannot see the old lady's face. I imagine she's in shock. Who wouldn't be? After all, she was just lobotomized by an insensitive stewardess, throwing bowling ball-sized handbags into cartons of food. Who would not be traumatized by such an act of culinary terrorism? Suddenly, my thoughts are no longer with the little china doll. I no longer care. I'm now concerned with the complexities of pushing the end of my seatbelt into the other end of my seatbelt. And where is that light vest again, I wonder to myself? Gravity is calling. I'm slightly concerned and feel like asking for the pilot's resume and the most recent mechanical inspection of this 737. The doors shut. My ears pop. Uh-oh, fate is now in the hands of an enigmatic god who uses gravity as his personal jester. I hope all that is supposed to fall today has fallen. I'm not sure what aeronautical principles keep a million pounds of aircraft aloft, 
but I am hopeful that whatever makes this thing fly works for the next two and a half hours. You are now free to walk around the cabin. Ding! Life's crazy.